What do you know about menopause? That's the million-dollar question. And that's what we need to be talking about, menopause. Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're delving into menopause because, trust me, we all need to know more. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. The theory of matrescence is that when our babies are born, a mother is also born. You start a process of change, like adolescence only applied to mothers. This is a big deal. Your body changes, what you care about often changes too. But there's another big change in this journey that we don't really talk about, and that's menopause. You might think it's a long way off, but is it really? Alison Daddo is a mum of three and author of Queen Menopause, Finding Your Majesty in the Mayhem. Hi, Alison. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So do you see any similarities between becoming a mum and then later going through menopause? Look, I think that there's there's a whole, and you know, I know it's an, it's an overused word, journey, but I think for women, there is such a journey, um, you know, from when we first start to our periods, you know, as a young teenager or sometimes even earlier than that. And then the journey through, you know, having a cycle and then going into pregnancy and then raising children. I mean, they're all such life-changing experiences. And we change, I think, a lot with those experiences as well. And I think perimenopause, menopause is another or can be another life-altering experience. Hopefully it's for the better. I mean, I think that that's where, you know, I'm so glad to, to be talking about this to women who are who actually maybe are not in perimenopause yet, because that's when you want to know about it. You want to know about it the earlier, the better, because there's so much that you can do in preparation for perimenopause and menopause. But yeah, look, I think that there is a, there's always a connection because in the sense of, yeah, that it's that journey of the woman and what we go through and the changes that we make. And so, you know, in perimenopause and menopause, I found, you know, that care I was giving unconditionally and over to all my children started shifting to much more, what do I also need? So that was sort of the shift that, that happened for me. It's um, it's interesting because on one level, when we become mothers, it is su- such an intense change or shift for many people. And they're often like, well, I didn't know that this was going to happen. It's like we teach our girls about puberty and then we go, there you go, you're set for life. Like, you yeah. know, this idea about perimenopause or menopause. So I turned 46 this year and quite possibly I am already in perimenopause, but I feel like hold on a second, shouldn't somebody be tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, by the way, things are going to start changing for you again now. Like, but we don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was my my absolute experience. The, the shock that I had <laughs> around my symptoms. That's why I was like, this has to, I have to write about this because why have, why has no one told me about it? And as I say, I'm, I'm the youngest of three sisters. I have a bunch of friends who are all older than me, who we tell each other everything. But menopause was not discussed. 
And it's just bizarre to me that it's, it's absolutely going to happen to you if you're a woman. You don't avoid it. It's a natural process that can come with challenges or maybe not. And it's just, it still blows my mind that it's something that isn't taught, isn't spoken about. And look, I think, you know, I, I had a gorgeous young teenager who I think was kind of forced to come along with her mum <laughs> to one of my, <laughs> one of my menopause chats about the book. And she, midway through the talk, she turned to her mum and she said, why aren't we taught about this in high school? And I'm like, oh, well, that, that would be amazing. It doesn't have to be a big, long conversation, but just as those girls are being, you know, are being introduced into periods and, you know, sexual health, it should also be an addition that you also know about what that word is, what it means and what can happen, you know, not in a fearful way, but you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the cycle. So if you're starting with the cycle of periods, you need to also talk about the end of your cycle too. And there's great comfort in knowing that other people are having similar experiences to you. Because I have a, a good colleague at work who has been going through those sorts of hormonal changes because we're a similar age. And, you know, I'd come in and I'd say something like, so can you tell me, do you wake up at night? like needing to change your pajamas because you have, you know, had such a, you're, you're sweating and it's hot or do you ever wake up just feeling completely anxious for no reason? And when, <laughs> and when she has said yes, there's this just relief, like, oh, thank God, I'm, there, there's a reason why this is happening. And yet if we don't yeah, talk about fine. it, if we don't feel comfortable sharing that with our friends and colleagues, then... Yeah. And that, and that's, I think, the greatest gift I think that women really have is that once we begin to open up, it's such a domino effect. You know, I think probably with men too, but I feel like women do it really well. And you can be standing in the line for the bathroom, you know, amongst strangers and someone can mention like, oh my God, I've got my period and I'm just so much in pain. Someone else will tell them. That, you know, yeah, I know, I bled through my dress, you know what I mean? Like you're immediately intimate with women, which I just love about us. So talking about it and sharing what you're feeling, sharing what you're going through, taking it out of that shameful space is the best thing that you can do for yourself or perhaps another woman that's, that's feeling like she's losing her marbles because she doesn't understand why she feels so depressed or so anxious or the thoughts that come into your mind or I don't know my body anymore. I don't know my mind anymore. I can't remember this. I have no, I have no excitement for that. Or, um, you know, all of those mental changes that, that can, for me, that was the hardest part was the, the mental changes, but you know, just what you physically go through. It's like nothing that I'd ever had before. I'd never had a hot flush before. I'd never, I'd never sort of automatically gained weight without having to, because I didn't eat anymore or do less exercise. It was just, whoa, okay, there's a, <laughs> there's a large belly on me now. Like, where did that come from? You know, yeah. it's so strange. <laughs> so, yeah, the more we talk, the better. And I feel like with our girls, or at least I know with my daughter, that I'm really conscious of talking to her about puberty. She's much more open than I ever was. And, um, especially with me, but I also want it to be a positive experience for her because when I start to talk about periods with her, of course, it sounds scary and awful and yucky. And I have to be honest, 
I'm like, yeah, it's not great, but this is what comes with that. And this is how we can. And in my head, I'm like, I really want to celebrate that time for her. And it Mm. seems conversely with menopause that it's kind of bringing together all these things that happen when a woman ages. So women become Mm. more invisible and we don't listen to older women and all of these things conflate around menopause. And so even that conversation feels like, oh no, you don't want to admit to having a hot flush. Like, Mm. where do you think that comes from? Is that is that where, because we're just so obsessed with youth? <laughs> I think that's definitely part of it. I think that it's the culture that we live in, the, particularly the Western culture. In the research I did, there was the way a lot of Indigenous cultures and the Japanese culture treat older women is with, they exalt them. You know, they are the wise women. And so it is very much celebrated when you reach those wise woman years. We don't do that in the Western culture. It is all about the anti-aging, how to stop looking old, how to dress for your age. You know, we hear it day in and day out. And menopause is very much linked to the crone years. And that that <laughs> word alone, I'm just like, ah, no. I, I, I was talking to someone the other day. I'm like, I think I'm going to change it. I think it's going to be maiden mother goddess. I think, oh, I, love I, think that. I don't... <laughs> I don't want the crone. I'm, let's just call us the goddesses yeah, after, yep. after mother. And I think that we can, with mothers of, of girls that are, you know, about to go into having their cycle, I think that's a great place to begin to celebrate, you know, yourself as a female. You know, if you can celebrate your daughter's beginning of their cycle, then maybe she will carry that through and celebrate the end of it. You know, I don't know, but I feel like, as you say, there's a lot more a lot more freedom and conversation around that. I, my, my 16-year-old, when she got her cycle, she was so open about it. And we celebrated hers. We celebrated my eldest daughters. They got their ears pierced. And we made it like such a big deal in such a celebratory way. And I thought, I mean, imagine if we could do that for menopausal women. Like, yay, you know, I got my last period. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? You know, we're not there yet, but maybe one day. Yeah, totally. I love that idea too. So depending on when you had your kids, and, and many of us are having our children older now, you might have teenagers or primary school age kids when you start to go through perimenopause. It's, it's very possible that you'll still have young children. So I'm assuming that some women listening to this podcast could be in perimenopause right now. And it seems that not many people know about perimenopause. I mean, what would you, how would you describe it and what is it? Right. And I think that that's that's so true because I'd heard about menopause, but when someone, a girlfriend mentioned to me, oh, that might be perimenopause. I'm like, wait, what? There's there's something else? (laughs) Yes. There's more. Um, And I think perimenopause, it's, it's a tricky one too because it's, this is, I think this is part of the, the challenge with menopause and the whole experience is that there's no one size fits all and there's no one symptom fits all and how long does it go for? It changes for every woman. So the first thing with perimenopause, and, and this can often be the most challenging part of the whole menopausal cycle because this is when your hormones are really doing the fluctuating. So that's when you really might get the the massive mood swings. It's when your cycle may go really nuts, like a period every two weeks. You might skip a couple of months. Um, Yeah, you might end up getting the old pregnancy test out and go, 
am I? Because <laughs> <laughs> your breasts get big and tender and you, it's like all those symptoms that you had when you were pregnant are coming up again, you know, or you'll get super duper heavy cycle. So they're, they're sort of the first beginning symptoms and then sleeplessness, which again, if you've got young kids, you're a mum, aren't we sleepless anyway? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, the anxiety, you know, aren't we anxious in today's age often already? Um, but maybe there's a little bit more on the extreme side of things. Um, yeah, look, again, as I said, the weight gain, um, sometimes there might be some heart palpitations. Um, and it's, it's, again, it's so difficult because it can be all related to other things. You know, there's, it's just, it's not like a, a, a one thing that goes, boom, this is definitely perimenopause perimenopause um the thing that I did which was really helpful is I went to see my doctor who uh, specified in women's health and hormone issues and she just did a full blood workup so she could go yep you need a bit more vitamin d some more zinc would help some of this some of that um so I knew it wasn't any other issue other than just my hormones changing because they you know it might be something else that your thyroid's out or whatever um but yeah, they're the beginnings of, of that. And that may go on for five years. It may go on for 10 years. I hate that part of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, know. I know I hate giving that news. It might go on for a year or or you might not get any symptoms whatsoever. 25% of women apparently don't have any symptoms other than their period stop. Lucky, so, lucky them. <laughs> <laughs> but we all think that's going to be us, don't we? Like right now I'm thinking I could get through it because I do yoga. Um <laughs> Yoga is helpful. Is it? It's definitely helpful. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'll keep that up. So how do we know when we've moved from perimenopause to actual menopause? So they, they sort of say that the menopause is really that the year that you have without your period. So you're still having sort of the hot flushes and, you know, changes about, but that the full year without any cycle is meant to be menopause. And then after that, you're postmenopausal, which also sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I am in postmenopause, and it is so much better. It is so much better. There is definitely light on the other side. You you feel so much better. I can absolutely attest to that. And that's really such an important message for for perimenopausal women because you hear, you know, you Google menopause, and it is just so depressing and so awful. But you don't get to hear about that postmenopausal years and the zest and the creativity and the freedom that so many women have. And they and everyone that I spoke to said that was really very common. That was a very common through line that they felt so great postmenopausal. Oh, that that does give me hope. Um, I want to yeah. talk about a few things that you touch on in the book, and you mentioned this earlier in this interview. You talk about self-care and how important it is. And this is something that I feel like I'm talking about all the time for new mums. Mm. But it, for some reason, I don't think it's landing. Like I even spoke to yeah. my sister today who, classic middle child, looks after everybody else, um, puts herself last, works through the night, all those sorts of things so that she can look after other people. And I'm like, hun, you know, you it's too much. You have to, you have to be able to have some time for yourself. Don't 
let everybody take advantage of that. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you're not listening. Yeah. You're not listening. And I speak to, I had a producer who worked with me on this show for years and years and heard all the messages about self-care. But of course, when she had two little babies of her own, did she prioritize herself? No. And so I'm wondering, firstly, why doesn't it land? And secondly, (laughs) why is it so important when you get to perimenopause and menopause to have Mm. genuinely good self-care? It is such a good question. Um, Gosh, and there's so many reasons. And I was exactly the producer and your sister. That is how I lived. And it was, that was sort of just ingrained in me from such an early age. You know, that was the badge of honor that you were worked so hard for your family and your kids and you, oh, you give up that, you give up that. And oh, the kids schooling and the kids sport. And, you know, it's so selfish to do something for yourself. Like that was just, you know, society standard. It's, it's what I heard from, it's what it was demonstrated by my mom, by my grandmother by Cam's, my husband's mom, she did the same thing. So it was all around me that these women just giving up their careers, giving up this, giving up that, giving up their time or, or trying to juggle the career and the kids. It was the biggest mistake of my life to not prioritize myself. It's a massive mistake because when perimenopause came a calling, as I say, the symptoms were so much bigger because of the level of exhaustion I was running at. And I had to figure out pretty quick what the hell self-care actually was. Because the same thing, I had done women's group, I had I had done therapy, I had heard self-care, I'd read all the books, I knew all the things that you're meant to do. I didn't do any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do any of them. You know, and I go, is it like, is it sitting on the couch having a chocolate biscuit? Is that self-care? <laughs> and maybe it is. Yes, sometimes. I was going to say. All, <laughs> all the things that you that I really needed to do, all the prioritizing that I really needed to do, I really only have just begun to do once menopause hit because it became really evident how much I actually needed and um, yeah I had stripped myself to the bare bones and and was so exhausted and when you're exhausted your adrenals are in overdrive when your adrenals in overdrive it, it creates more issues for your hormones so it makes your symptoms so much tougher so yeah if I could go back and change that would be really high on my list and it's and it's the message that I'm saying to everyone but I'm a bit like you I'm like are they gonna do it because I didn't you know yeah but I am speaking from the other side of going I didn't do it it's really bad to not do it so do it yeah (laughs) and it's also I think it's a feminist issue isn't it because um I don't think men consider or need to consider self-care in the same way that women and particularly mothers do because like you say we've got like centuries of expectations of how we should mother and what a good mother looks like. And it's, yeah. it's insidious. Like you don't even know, you might think in your head, I'm strong. I know that I, but then your child says, you know, mommy, I, I need you. And straight away you're like, you need me. I'm there, you know, and I'm not saying yeah. that we don't do that, but there, 
your child isn't going to wither up and die if occasionally you say, actually, not tonight, babe, I need to, I need to sleep, I need to read a book, I need mummy time. Absolutely. And I think the best thing you can actually do, which, which seems counterproductive, but the best thing you can do is demonstrate that to your child because it's not that we're teaching self-care to our child by caring for them. Self-care is taught by demonstrating it to ourselves and also to the child. So it gives them permission to go, you know what, mom, I just need to go lie down for a bit and read because I'm tired. Yes, honey, you do. Off you go. Because mummy does that. Mum needs to do that too. So, and I didn't get, I didn't understand that, that thing. I was all about like, oh, the more I care for my child, the more they'll care for themselves and other people. But it, it doesn't work like that. No, <laughs> it doesn't. And it also makes me think about the structure of a family because I've got to that point where my kids are old enough now that they can probably wash up, wash the dishes. They could set the table. They could put their clothes away. And yet I'm finding, you know, I'm working and I'm trying to do all the things. And then I'm starting to get a bit like resentful. And I'm thinking, Mm. hold on a second, when you couldn't do it, yes, that was my job because it's my job to make sure that you're healthy and fed and clothed and all those things. So yes, that was my job then. But just like in a partnership, you can't be the one that is doing all the things because that's called slavery. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. So I feel yep. like it's a whole family thing, isn't it? It's so true. And then as soon as you start to feel that resentment, you know, okay, where have I, <laughs> yes. where have I taken the path that, that really, I, I need to go back and go, actually, you are old enough to clear the table you are old enough to feed the dogs unpack the dishwasher yeah when you find yourself standing there going why am I doing all of this when I have completely able-bodied people in the house that can do this (laughs) so yeah yeah Yeah, I think that's something everyone's writing on their to-do list now okay (laughs) (laughs) I hope so (laughs) going to teach the kids um but that does bring me to the next thing that you talk about that I'm fascinated with and that is anger So I understand that anger can come about because of mood swings and it can be irrational and it can be brought on by hormones. But I also wonder, particularly with menopause, if women just get to an age and stage of their life where they feel powerful enough to just not give a shit what people think and go, you know what, I'm angry because, uh, hello, look at what I've had to put up with for my life, you know? Yep. Yep. You know, women our age, we have so much wisdom and we often have so much suppressed anger (laughs) as well. And that anger is really important and it's really important to speak and it's really important to feel. And I feel like the wisdom that we have, it would be a shame to not speak that out. And as a lifelong people pleaser, the anger that I have felt, and I, I call it righteous anger, and not in like a self-righteous way, but that anger where to right a wrong or to have my opinion on something because I feel really rooted in that opinion, where I used to put that voice to sleep a lot because it wasn't what nice girls did and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't polite. Now I, I sort of see my families and my friends' <laughs> eyeballs bulge out of their head when I start. <laughs> they know, I'm like, all right. 
nothing. <laughs> I do not agree with that. This is how it is. This is how, especially my husband. He just sits there and just is like, cool, here she goes. Okay. <laughs> and it feels so good. It feels so good to have my anger. I love it. And I think more women need to be angry. We have a lot to be angry about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I remember um, a few years back, uh, Mia Freeman wrote a book about, I think it was called Work Strife Balance or something like that. Anyway, she she wrote about things that hadn't occurred to me. The main thing being when her son graduated from high school and the grief she felt was so unexpected at that point. And I went, ha. Oh, yeah, that really makes sense. And I'm wondering with menopause, was there any grief involved with that process being that even though I'm doubting you wanted to have another baby before you went through menopause that you actually couldn't? Like was there a yeah. was there a grief in that? Very much so. And whether or not that's particular to me, I'm not sure, but because I was from the age of five, all I wanted was to be a mum. That was what, you know, I was the kid that, what do you want to be, Ali? I want to be a mum. So for me, children were incredibly important. It's all I, all I wanted to do. So, and it was every bit as joyous and wonderful as I thought it would be. So when, as I say, my fertility was taken from me no one asked me if I wanted my fertility <laughs> taken it just was gone I had a very deep sense of mourning and loss of that and again yeah I didn't want to have another child and that was what was confusing for my husband when I would cry but it just felt like it was such an end of something that I could never ever ever get back and I just thought about all those young baby years, you know, the excitement of finding out you're pregnant and carrying that baby, all of that stage will absolutely never be again. And yeah, I, I mourned that a lot, that, that the loss of that. There's so many emotions there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is. There really is. It, it gets replaced in a lot of ways because, you know, not having a period is amazing. There is a freedom in that you know, getting to see your children, you know, develop and grow. And, and as they leave the nest, you know, I'm at that, at that stage now. That's another time of mourning for me, though. There's so much beauty in it as well. And I just, for me, if I just stay with the gratitude of, of, of actually being able to, to watch my children go through those changes and be alive for that, I just feel so so honored to be their mom and, and, and so grateful because, you know, there's a lot of, we've lost a lot of women that don't get to see their children grow up, you know, and I just think, thank God I'm 52 and I'm still around. Yeah. And you know what? We can't be what we can't see. And yeah. um, I think it's fabulous that you've done this book and that we're talking about it and that we get to see what happens in the future and that you're loud and proud about it because uh, I really do firmly believe that that's what we need to be as women as we age and not be ashamed Absolutely. of it. So thank you so much for chatting with us today, Ali. Uh, thanks for having me. That's Ali Dallow. Her book is called Queen Menopause, Finding Your Majesty in the Mayhem. There'll be links to the book in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. 
If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.